I think I'll use this one here. <laughs> okay, your grace, remember. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the, by the saying, he went away, sorrowful for what he had, for he had great possessions. Bless the reading and the hearing of the word. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here again uh, to share the word of God with you. About a week or so ago, I read an article um, actually from CNN entitled, Is $2 million enough? To feel wealthy. And then at the beginning uh, of the article, ask this question How much does a person need to feel rich? And then it went on and said A recent survey from Charles Schwab revealed that a net worth of $2.27 million would be enough. But can you really put a number on it? And then last year, 2018, Harvard Business School undertook a first-of-its-kind study uh, that involved over 4,000 millionaires in the United States, asking them how much money it would take to make them happy. Now, you're talking about the millionaires now. Each millionaire was asked to report how much they currently had, how happy they were on a scale one to 10, and then how much money they thought they would need to get to the 10 on, a happy, on this happiness scale. And then shockingly, 26%, the largest respo uh, response was assigned to 10 times more that I need, 10 times more. And then the largest, pos this is the largest possible option. And then 24% chose five times more, followed by 23% at two times more. And only 13% of the, respond uh, the respondents said they currently have enough to be happy. Now perhaps, most surprising of all, this answer was consistent no matter how much money a person had. This means that someone with 100 million was just as likely as the person with 10 million 
to select, they needed ten times the amount of money they had to be happy. And then in an interview、uh, with the The Atlantic, the lead researcher Michael Norton, he suggested that the problem for so many millionaires is what is comparison. So the question of happiness is not just do I have enough, but do I have more than those around me? Norton he later on he concluded. If a family amasses $15 million, but if they were moved to a neighborhood where everyone has more money, they still won't be happy. All the way up the spectrum of wealth, basically, everyone says they would need two to three times as much to be perfectly happy. Now we talk about this study on the millionaires. What about the less? Well, they're not quite rich, not as rich. Now, here's a study. Some other remarkable studies show that most people, regardless of income, answer the question the same way: we need more than, or we need more, or we need about 10 percent more to feel comfortable, and then 10 percent will make a difference. And whether we earn thirty thousand dollar a year, or sixty thousand dollar a year, or two hundred fifty, or quarter million dollar a year, or even a cool a、uh, million dollar a year, just ten percent more—that's what I want. Then I would be happy. Today we'll study a passage taken from the book of Mark, chapter ten, verses seventeen to twenty-two. The story of a man. He had everything except eternal life, and he could have had that too. All he had to do was to get rid of his possessions or his money, and then follow Jesus. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works, nor he condemns people for being rich. No, but rather he is pointing out. The need to deal with self-righteousness and self-dependence, so that we can place our total trust in Him, in Jesus, and then follow Him. And let's take a look at the the passage again. Ten.、Uh, this is the passage, Mark ten seventeen to twenty-two. Let me quickly read it for you once again.、I、want to thank David earlier for reading it. Here, here it is. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments: do not murder." Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying. He went away sorrowful, for he had great.
possessions. Let this time let's pause for a moment. Let's come before go before God in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we examine your words this morning, pray that you help us to understand them. Help us help our ears to be attentive as you speak to us through your word. And finally, help us to apply the word, your word, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let's break down the passage together. First of all, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? At the time, Jesus, he was on the way, on his way uh, to Jerusalem, to his destiny, and to face death. Then a man ran up and knelt before him. Who is this man? The story actually appears also in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, other than Mark. Matthew 19, uh, Matthew I guess I didn't have it up here, but that's okay. Uh, trust me. <laughs> Matthew 19.20 tells us that he's a young man. It reads, The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And then Luke 18.18 18 revealed to us that he, this young man, is a ruler, saying that, and the ruler asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this man's wealth is noted in all three Gospels, all three versions. And then putting the description together from Matthew, Luke, and Mark, now we know that this man is a rich, young ruler. That's who he was. So this young, rich, young ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So in addressing uh, so uh, Jesus as good teacher, the rich young fellow, uh, he meant no more than just, you know, issue a respectful, formal greeting to a religious leader. He was thoughtful, though. He was thoughtful, you know, uh, of the world to come. He, think, he thought ahead. You know, the life in it. He believed that there was an eternal life, but he had wrong notions about the way and manner of getting it, attaining it. He thought that it was through the works of the law. Let's take a look at verse 18 and 19. Uh, verse 18, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Here Jesus turned the man's attention to God and his demands. Jesus wants him to know that no one focuses on his or her own goodness in being right with God. Salvation comes only from God, who alone is good. Jesus is telling the young man that he must focus on God and not on himself. And then verse 19, it says here, You know the commandments, 
Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Then Jesus draw the rich uh, young ruler to the Ten Commandments. The first four mentioned here are the sixth through the ninth commandments, and then the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is placed at the end. Perhaps because it was the the first、uh, commandment of promise of long life, so it becomes a a good conclusion here. It is interesting to note that the phrase "do not defraud." And this do, do not defraud replaces the tenth commandment, not to covet. Probably because a wealthy person like this young, this young rich、uh, man and ruler may well have gained his wealth at the expense of others. So that's the type of coveting. Verse twenty, and he said to him. Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. By his answer, the man the man admits that something more than keeping the law is necessary for eternal life. In Matthew nineteen twenty, he actually asked Jesus, saying, "All these I've kept. What do I still lack?" Verse twenty one, and Jesus looked at him, loved him. And said to him, "You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me." The rich young ruler had everything except eternal life, and he could have that too. Really, all he had, all he had to do was just get rid of his possessions, get rid of his money, and then follow Jesus. And again. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works, but rather Jesus is pointing out the need to deal with self-righteousness and self-dependence, so that we can place our total trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him. Here, you lack one thing. The man believes that he has been faithful in keeping the commandments. From his early days, earliest days, he is claiming not to be sinless, but rather to be faithful. He feels that he comes to Jesus with a, a clear conscience. Still, Jesus points out his failure to look deeply enough into his heart, that he was placing far too much value on his wealth. That's the problem. Jesus demands a radical response. The man must get rid of his possessions in order to get to receive everlasting life from God. In his case, the earthly the earthly possessions. Only when he gives his material goods to help those who have nothing, the poor, he finds true life. Let's move on to verse twenty-two. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This was too much for him. He went away sorrowful. 
because they had great earthly possessions. Great possessions or great wealth has priority over eternal life, and the young man knowingly and willingly gives up his future, that is, the eternal life, for his present treasure. He has no idea that the sorrow he feels at the time is nothing compared to what he will face when he dies and stand before God. Without any hope of eternal life. So, now we quickly kind of、uh, gone through all the entire passage, all the verses. What do we learn from this morning's passage about life of this rich young ruler? Let's just place our focus, put our focus on verse twenty-one. And again, Jesus told a young man, saying, "Go." Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Here, what I want you to take home with today, just two points. First, go sell.、Uh, don't quickly go home and sell your homes. Okay. <laughs> Let finish what I have to say first. The rich young man was well mannered, well educated. And well off, he was. I think he was sincere. He was honest, and he was above approach.、Uh, was above reproach, and Jesus loved him. He even tried to. Jesus even tried to recruit him. He was the man who had everything except eternal life, and he could have had that too. Again, all he had to do just. Obey what Jesus told him. Sell all that he had. Get rid of it, and then followed Jesus. But it was not to be. Jesus had clearly said, "No one, no one can serve both God and money." In Matthew six twenty four, Jesus said, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be." Uh, devoted to the one and despised the other, you cannot serve God and money. Here was living proof of the principle. In coming to Jesus, the rich young ruler, he came to a fork in the road. Jesus told him, "Go sell all that you、uh, he had and give to the poor, and he would have treasure in heaven." He had to choose which he would serve, money or Jesus. Apparently, he chose money. Today, like the young man, we also come to a fork in the road, and Jesus tell us, telling us the same thing: go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So, what is your response to him? Now, again, we have to understand that Jesus never condemned people for being rich, nor does Scripture condemn the possession or the accumulation of money. Jesus saw wealth as a gift from God to be used in His service. The Bible talks about it a lot. 
Talk about those who have been blessed with wealth must share generously with the poor and avoid the sins of arrogance, avoid the sins of dishonesty, avoid the sin of greed. Jesus also warned people about uh, what he called the deceitfulness of riches or the lure of wealth. When he was explaining uh, the parable of the sower, he understood the powerful but ultimately fatal attraction of money as a substitute for God. Jesus perceived the tendency in this young, this rich, uh, young ruler. He was placing far too much value on his wealth. So Jesus told him to give it away, to free himself from the deceitfulness of wealth. Here in the United States, even here in Southern California, or here in greater Los Angeles area, there are many, quote, rich young rulers, end quote, today here. People who have or are well on the way to having relatively sizable assets. Some are Christians, of course some are not, but sooner or later, we all must answer the question that the rich young ruler asked Jesus. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Before you again think about that question, answer the question, be aware of the fact that your heart, your heart always follows your money. And here's an illustration. Suppose you buy uh, shares of General Motors. What happens next? Then you suddenly develop interest in GM, right? And you check the financial pages, and you see a magazine article about GM, and you read every word, and even though a month ago you would have, pa you have passed right over it, you wouldn't bother reading it, but now you do. Or suppose you... Uh, giving help, helping someone, the African children in Africa, uh, they are with ACE. So all of a sudden you see articles on this subject, you would read it, you're hooked. If you're sending money to plant churches in India, let's say, planting churches in India, and all of a sudden, whoa, there's an earthquake in India, then you watch the news and you fervently pray for India. Do you wish you cared more about eternal things, then reallocate some of your money, maybe most of your money, or even all your money, from temporal things to eternal things. Put your resources, your assets, your money, your possessions, your time and talents and energies into the things of God. Watch what happened. And surely as and surely as the compass, the compass needle, follow north, right? And your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. Money leads, hearts follow. Remember what Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Not only Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and give to poor. He also asked the young man to follow him. And he's point number two, follow Jesus. Tim Keller, he once shared the following story or illustration. He said, how we often hear person, we often hear person that, that is, what is more important? Uh, someone said, well, I'm not very religious, but I'm a good person. And that is what is most important. Let me say it again. He said, we often hear this. Well, I'm not that, uh, I am not very religious, but I'm a good person. And that is what is most important. But is that really true? Imagine a woman, uh, a poor widow, with, an, with the, her only son. You know, she teaches him how she wants him to live, to always tell the truth, to work hard, and to help the poor. She makes very little money, but with her meager savings, she's able to put him through college. Imagine that when he graduates, he hardly even speaks to her again. He occasionally sends a Christmas card, but he doesn't visit her. He won't even answer her phone calls or write her letters or emails. Uh, he doesn't speak to her. But he lives, he lives the way just his mom taught her to. That is, honestly, honesty. That is, industriously. And that is also, incharitably. Would you say that that's acceptable? He's living a good life? Of course not. Wouldn't we say by living a good life, but neglecting a relationship with the one to whom he owed everything, he was doing something commendable? In the same way God created us and we owe him everything, and we do not live for him, but we live a so-called good life, it is not enough. We all owe a debt, and that must be paid. Tim Keller is really right about this. It's not enough that we do, that, that we do not live for Jesus, but we live a good life. We need to build an intimate, a close relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ by following Him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Let's take a look at 9.23. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What did Jesus mean when he said, we have to carry a cross? No, this is not what he meant, although it's not necessarily wrong to refer some problem that we, we are having or we're facing as a cross. Uh, let me give an example. Many people, they interpret cross as some hardship. For instance, they encounter in life, they're seeing some burden. Let's say uh, they have a tough time at work. My boss is mean to me. Uh, they have a terrible relationship with him. You cannot say, I have no choice. 
that's my cross, and I have to carry. No. Such interpretation is not what Jesus meant when he said, "Take up your cross daily and follow me." True, we all have trials and afflictions that may be very hard for us to bear. But Jesus meant something far deeper than this when he demanded his disciples to carry the cross. In Jesus' day, a cross. Was not just a symbol of pain and suffering. It was mainly a symbol of death, death. What Jesus was telling the disciples is that they needed to put to death their own plans, their own desires, and then turn their lives over to Him and do His will daily. That's what it is. So when Jesus calls us, He calls us to commit our whole being, our whole lives to Him, to trust Him alone for our salvation, and then to follow Him as His disciples. He said that in Luke fourteen twenty-seven. He said, "Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." I know that our theme for this year, and very well, it will be the same theme for next year: multiplying followers of Jesus. Before we ourselves can multiply followers of Christ, we ourselves we have to be true disciples, true follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, dear brothers and sisters. Is Christ the master of your life? Have you put to death your own plans, your own desire, and you commit yourself to Him, to His will for your life? Don't be satisfied with anything less, for there is no greater joy in life than following Jesus, following Him daily. Let us pray. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus said, "Go sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me." So, what is your response? I certainly hope and pray that your response will be something like this: Lord, help me to remove my focus on the worldly possessions. Help me to focus on you. And follow you, Father God. We thank you for your word. Indeed, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, that we can have eternal life. I pray that Father, you continue to strengthen our faith and help us to take up our cross and follow our Lord Jesus Christ daily. Thank you, Lord, for listening to our prayer. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.